You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. Welcome and thank you for joining us here another week at Snarky Faith Radio. Now, what we're doing this week is going to be fun. We're going to be sitting down with author, pastor, artist, and a whole host of other things, David Hayward. David Hayward is also known as the Naked Pastor. You may have seen his cartoons out there on the interwebs. Uh, David is a unique voice and has a unique journey. David kind of is a voice of, uh, of some dissent and resistance of what's going on within American Christianity, so I thought he'd be great to have here on the show, and I know that you won't be disappointed with it because it was a really, really fun chat that we had together. He's a great guy. But before we get to that, before we head full on into the snarky interview with David Hayward, we've got your Christian Crazy of the Week. Here we go. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So let me set up a little bit of context for our Christian Crazy this week. So we all know this past week that President George Bush passed away. And we've seen an outpouring of people with fond memories, remembering his legacy, remembering his life, and all that kind of good stuff that happens when a famous person dies. And this part, this thing, is, is really, really what stuck out for me. And, you know, he kind of goes back to the ages of kind of the grandfather of Christian Crazy, Pat Robertson, because when you're recounting someone's life, when, when, you're, when you're looking back upon someone's legacy of good and bad um, and the mark that they made here on the earth, you know, really one of the key elements you want to always throw in is you want to kind of throw in a few humble brags about yourself when you're talking about somebody else. And this, at least in recent memory, is, is, is the craziest, humble braggiest thing that I, I can conceive of. Um, at the moment, especially in the wake of someone's death, kind of making it, you know, all about me. So, you know, I'm going to let you listen to Pat and then we'll just deconstruct it just a bit. So here we go. I called John Sununu, who at that time was chief of staff. And I said, look, I've got an important message for your, uh, your boss. And he said, okay, I can set it up Wednesday. And I said, okay, I'll come up. And he was in the Oval Office. And just that time, uh, his representative in Geneva had been meeting with the representative of Saddam Hussein, and the talks had broken down. And I said, Mr. President, I've got a word from the Lord for you. He said, what is it? I said, there's going to be a war. It's going to be enormously successful. You're going to be hailed as a great uh, military leader, and uh, you, your uh, success is going to go through the roof. Mm. And he said, well, I, I appreciate that. And I said, well, why, why don't we pray about it? And so 
we join hands together and we ask for God's anointing and his wisdom on this man. And he went from there into the cabinet room and they launched the Gulf War. So essentially all history and everything really just revolves around Pat Robertson. The Gulf War was simply started by God through his mouthpiece, Pat Robertson. And that's history, folks. I mean, really, that stuff should be in history books because, you know, that's the absolute truth. And there was no other cause to the Gulf War aside from Pat Robertson being in the right place at the right time and conveying the word of the Lord to go and drop bombs and kill people. All for your popularity. Oh, Pat, you know God so well. Silly warmongering Jesus. Oh, Pat, thanks for keeping us honest. Oh, the arrogance. Oh, the stupidity. Oh, actually, arrogance, stupidity. That really is Pat Robertson in a nutshell. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, really, we need to go back and rewrite history books right now after Pat's new revelation to all of us. But enough of that, because we've got more fun in store with David Hayward. So, sit tight, buckle up, and here we go. Well, I'm sitting here today with pastor, author, artist, coach. He's also known as the naked pastor, the graffiti artist on the walls of religion. It is David Hayward coming to us from St. John, New Brunswick. David, how are you today? I'm great. Great. Thanks for having me. Oh, um, I'm just wanting to tell you, I've been a fan of your art for a long time. And, <laughs> uh, and it's a real fun thing to kind of eventually put the face um, with the artist. Um, <laughs> And I will say to our, to our listeners, we are Skyping right now, but you guys only hear the audio of this, but when he's called the naked pastor, he totally lives up to it. So well done, David. Mm. <laughs> no, but David, um, part of what, why, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on here was, one, we'll talk about your art, but I wanted to talk yeah. a lot at the top about your journey, um, mm-hmm. especially looking through your bio and reading up on you. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you were baptized Anglican. You yes came to faith in a Baptist church. Then yeah. you swapped over to the Pentecostal folks yeah. as well, too. Uh, yeah. Then uh, what, you were ordained a Presbyterian. Yeah. Uh, and then you pastored a vineyard church, independent church. You planted others. And yeah. now you find yourself here, David, uh, <laughs> kind of still yeah. in the mix of it, but still outside the church. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us a little bit about your journey, because it's, it's a lot like mine. I think I was raised Southern Baptist, and I've bounced to the Pentecostal side. I've kind of bounced around the spectrum of it. Yeah, in my, yeah, in yeah. my journeys, uh, yeah. of trying to find one that makes sense. Yeah, um, I haven't found one yet, but uh, I was hoping you <laughs> could help me in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. First of all, to your listeners, Stuart was joking. I'm actually fully clothed and in my right mind. <laughs> okay. uh, um, yeah, I call myself my own ecumenical movement. I've been everywhere, uh, and um, I think what was driving me, well. You know, when I was growing up, I was at the mercy of my parents and wherever they decided to go. But, uh, you know, eventually I I ended up going to a Bible college, uh, Pentecostal Bible College. And then uh, that was in Springfield, Missouri, Central Bible College. And then I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary for my master's in New Testament studies. And um, then from there, I was still in the Pentecostal church. I met my wife and she's from the Pentecostal church. Actually, she's from southern Alabama. She was in holiness uh, Pentecostal, so that was really something. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I ended up getting 
ordained Presbyterian church mm-hmm. in Canada and was there for years. I planted a church in the Presbyterian church. And then, um, then I switched to vineyard and, uh, I took a little bit of a hiatus and went and planted another church for an independent ministry and then um, came back to uh, the Vineyard Church. Uh, for those who don't know, the Vineyard's kind of a mixture of, uh, I don't know, evangelical Baptist kind of um, theology to uh, with a charismatic kind of experience. So mm-hmm. um, with contemporary worship and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, in 2010, um, I left the ministry and, uh, the church, mm. I would say, I, although I visit churches now and then, but, um, yeah, that's my story. Mm. Well, t- talk, to, talk about that. Cause I know we've had lots of folks that, that have kind of on the show that have walked similar, similar yeah. paths. And so what, what, what was it that kind of led you to kind of lead like the professional clergy type ministry? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what was, tell us a little about how that, well, how that occurred. I, you know, it's uh, there's so many factors, right? But uh, I think the the big one for me was I was always <clears throat> finding myself um, looking for a bigger pot. Like I was like a felt like a plant in a pot, and when a plant gets uh, I don't know what you call it, where its its roots get too crowded, you need mm-hmm. to repot the plant into a bigger pot. And so I, I found myself my my I have a driving force inside me to be free and to grow. I want to grow at my own rate. I want to be who I want to be. And, and so I kept finding myself looking for a bigger and bigger pot. And the last church I was in, I thought was the biggest pot I would ever need. But then at some point I realized even this big pot, uh, has borders and beyond which I I feel I need to grow. And it became very clear one day after a meeting, yeah, this isn't going to work. I, mm. I want to keep growing, and this is just too uncomfortable for too many people. And so we came to an agreement that we we're no longer compatible and theologically, and um, I moved on. Mm. It was a amicable divorce, but uh, it was uh, bittersweet for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, from there I went and taught English as a second language uh, to international students at a local university here. And I did that for a couple of years and then I launched the lasting supper, my online community. And that's been keeping me busy ever since. That's great. And, and yeah, and it's, it's amazing to be able to see somebody kind of walk through that because the, the process of walking out, um, is, Mm -hmm. is a difficult one. I mean, you know, part of it is you've invested so much of yourself, your life, your identity in many ways, yeah. Um, in a lot of these circles and yeah. when you exit, I mean, there's, there's loss, there's loss of friendships and everything else too. Was that, was mm. that, was that process of kind of transitioning out? Was that difficult for you? Very. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, you know, I've been through a lot of things, including a church split. That was pretty brutal, but the whole, uh, combination, it was like the perfect storm when I left the church, the perfect storm was, I was, uh, probably just entering into midlife crisis, <laughs> being that age. Uh, Lisa had, uh, um, you know, we were tied at the hip completely in every way. We were a team when I was pastoring. Um, she went and went, started going to university for a nursing degree. Our kids had left home, so we were empty nesters. When we left the church, we left like you. We left our, our friends, uh, my vocation, my job, my salary, my and 
um, we had to file for personal bankruptcy um, mm -hmm. because we'd just been struggling for so many years uh, on a pastor's salary. And then um, uh, on top of that, we were both deconstructing. You know, our, mm -hmm. our beliefs were changing. Our relationship with the church was changing. You know, it was, it was the perfect storm. And uh, it nearly destroyed our marriage. Mm. And we almost didn't survive. And it took a long time to walk through that. And we're, we're doing better now than ever. But uh, there were times we really didn't think we were going to make it. And personally, uh, it was very, very dark times for sure. Um, not sure how I was going to, um, refit myself for the real world. You know, it was, it was a totally different way of living for some people, I suppose for church members who leave the church, it's one thing, but you add on top of that, that your vocation as a pastor, uh, I think it really complicates it. And I know a lot of ex pastors or pastors who are trying to leave the ministry who, it's, it's very, very tough for sure. And a lot don't survive and many marriages don't survive. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I liked how you were putting uh, words to that too, because sometimes moving through that process, it's, it's a matter of kind of having to push through a certain level of crap to get to the other yeah. side of it. And yeah. uh, it's, it's not a pretty process and yeah. it's, it's not one that necessarily you want to recommend to others, but, uh, but once you're on the other end of it, it's, it's life is very, very different. Yeah. It's, it's like birth, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a child being born, but it's pretty darn messy. It is. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it can last anywhere from, I don't know, I, I've known some people who've given birth in half an hour and Lisa with our kids, they were always like in like 20 hours. So uh, it was a long time um, and very messy and very painful. And we weren't sure we were going to make it. And the umbilical cord was wrapped around our necks and, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, our hearts stopped beating once in a while. And, but, uh, we, we survived it mm -hmm. because we, we took some actions that I think were made it happen, made it work. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a brutal time. Yeah. yeah the journey towards freedom is never an easy one. No. Um, uh, because yeah, we have to let go of so much that we have learned to lean on and to hold on to, And we just assumed yeah. we're, this is, this is how it always is. And you yeah, begin to yeah. walk into no man's land and it is, it's very lonely. Um, yeah, it's like ex-convicts when they leave prison, it's very, very difficult for them to figure out how to live in the real world, you know? And mm -hmm. it's the same for people who are going through deconstruction or leaving the church or pastors leaving the ministry or whatever. It's, uh, and, and the problem is there's not a lot of resources for people like that. Yeah. You're on your own. Yeah. Either you're in or you're out. And when you're, if you're in, you've got all the resources you need. But as soon as you leave, you're on your own. You've got to figure it out on your own by yourself. Well, and and that's, yeah, and your yeah. analogy of a convict was quite right, because I think oftentimes when you yeah. walk away from those, it feels like the folks that were in those circles treat you like you're a convict now yeah. uh, on the way out to where there's, yeah. And, and many, yeah, and for many, it was imprisoning, you know. Was, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So tell, tell us about this. So how did you, so how did you come to be the naked pastor? Well, um, I, I can't. It was back when uh, that chef, I forget his name, oh, Jeremy, uh, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie Oliver, Oliver yeah. was using Naked Chef. And then along came the Naked uh, um, Archaeologist and stuff like that, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I, at the time, I, was, I had my blog. I think it was churchpundit.com. And I, I just thought a naked pastor, but it wasn't available. So I put a... Uh, I entered into some kind of an auction for it. I didn't even remember that, but 
I got an email one day, congratulations, you won the auction. I thought, oh, shit, how much, <laughs> how much money is this going to cost me? And it was ended up like $60, $76 or something like that. But So I went with it, and I wanted it to express, because I was a pastor at the time. That was back in 2005. That was a pastor at the time, and I just wanted to be upfront and raw and real and honest and vulnerable as a pastor and let people see behind the veil of the pastor's life and see what it was really like. And just me being honest with all my struggles with marriage and family and theology and people in the church and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so basically it was me, like a blog originally were, you know, online journals. I was basically journaling online, sharing my journey as a pastor in a vulnerable and honest way. So that's where Naked Pastor came from. Mm-hmm. And you'd mentioned earlier within your part of a journey about uh, how it moved you towards cultivating uh, a community, The Lasting Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, and so t- tell us more about that. Yeah, so um, one of the things I really highly value is community. I think that's the church's greatest asset, uh, potentially. Um, you know, you can walk into a church and you're handed relationships on a platter and a whole network of people to be with and things to do. And uh, when people leave the church, that's all taken away. And you have to kind of start from scratch. You have to learn how to make friends. And, uh, you know, it's really difficult work. But uh, one of the things I, I, I thought after a couple of years, man, there's so many people leaving the church and there's nothing for them. Um, no resources. It's kind of like uh, pioneers on mm-hmm. the edge of no man's land looking out and they have nothing, they have nothing, you know? And so I thought I'm going to provide people with resources that, you know, and to validate their journey that they're like pioneers and go find your own homestead and, you know, make, put a positive spin on it, which I think is totally valid. And, um, so I started the lasting supper, basically, um, the lasting basically to, you know, help people, make the transition away from church, theologically, socially, familially, um, you know, um, all these ways. And But then I realized after a while, as a community started to grow, as a, a membership list started to grow, the community was forming and people were relating with one another. And actually now that's the greatest asset of the Lasting Supper is the community interaction that we have. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I provide resources and I do interviews and there's videos and all that, but the, they're not used nearly as much as uh, the community interaction. That's where the, uh, the Lasting Supper really happens. And so over the, over, the spe- uh, over the time of kind of you cultivating this online community, has, I mean, has it changed since its inception as you've moved forward? Yeah, well, at the beginning it was more about me. Uh, I still had that pastor's mindset of me providing uh, instruction for the people, right? But I came to realize these people are done with uh, gurus and leaders and, you know, all, all this kind of thing. Uh, they, in fact, the, the, the um, motto for The Lasting Supper is help yourself. And we really value people. I value highly spiritual independence where people learn how to embrace their own spirituality and their own journey and, and, um, that it's, you know, it's okay to be who you are spiritually as well. And, and so, um, at the beginning it was more me kind of leading it and teaching and so on. Now it's mostly the community is, is just interacting with its itself 
and I interject now and then, but mostly it's community led. So that's a, that was a cool development. Yeah. No, that it, it, it's interesting to be able to do that, and it's and it's it's fascinating how like the technologies change the world now, and mm. in, in many ways where you know you see a lot of social media to where, at least for me, it feels it people have learned how to have the facade of seeming right. personal, um, right? But being very careful in in how they project themselves online, right? Right. Um, but even but on the flip side, what you're talking about is at least what I'm hearing here is it sounds like a very like intimate community of people. That are that are very invested in one another and invested in mm-hmm. growth, um, yes. where they're at too. Yeah, well, it's it's a very diverse community because when people leave the church, uh, and like I say, we we value and validate your own spiritual journey. So I'm not going to judge you if you decide to become a better believer, or if you decide to become a better agnostic, or if you decide to become a better atheist. Whatever, it's very diverse. So we have people on there from believing people who might still go to church to atheists who no longer go to church and everywhere in between. And, um, and it's the neat thing is that this diverse community is gets along. Mm. We just, that's our value is that I'm going to be who I am and I'm not going to judge you for who you are. Mm-hmm. And we're going to learn that the greatest thing that, um, makes community is love and mutual respect, not compatibility or agreement on every single issue or, theological point. And so that's what makes it such a dynamic community is, is its diversity. We actually value that. Mm. It it sounds, it sounds interesting too, because moving out of like the church world that has a very like hierarchical approach to everything, you know, moving to something, at least what I'm hearing from you is it's more of a flat approach um, to any kind of leadership. Um, Was that, was that, was that like reorienting for you to kind of step through that as, as, you know, being a pastor after so many years? In a way, um, but, uh, you know, looking back when I was a pastor, I did value team and democracy, um, and I, I, I was totally turned off of, you know, being anybody's guru or charismatic leadership or, or all that. So, you know, even my sermons were conversational, like I would get down on the floor with people, no stage, and, you know, we would question and answer and have dialogue and discussion. And even our leadership teams, we would call them open round table where anybody could come and gather around the table and we would discuss things. So it's all, I've always had that kind of democratic, everybody can play kind of approach, but now it's even more, I'm very, I'm even more intentional about it that, um, we can learn how to be spiritual if we're in our own way, if we're given the space and time to do it. Um, rather than like so many people, I've had actually people sit down in front of me when I was a pastor and saying, I need you to tell me what to believe and what to do. Mm-hmm. That's what I pay you for kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm the exact opposite of that. You need to discern how to live your life mm-hmm. and I'm here to support you. That's it. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah. that is the, yeah, from working in, in many different denominations and churches, that that's one of my often critiques I have of the American church is the fact that we're, that pastors don't teach their congregations to think, um, right, right, um, at all. Uh, like dynamically, right. like what does it mean to to look like Jesus? What does it mean in your own area to do this? Like how do you right. do this as opposed to uh, having like fun little bumper sticker type quotes, you know, that people like to to hang with them or post on social media? But I, I just feel like you know what I'm hearing here is it's kind of a beautiful thing to be able to put faith back in people's hands. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and for them to tinker and figure out where does God moving? What, 
what is speaking to me, what is not speaking to me. Um, right. It seems like a more fluid process. Right. Well, for and and it's not just faith or God because for a lot of people when they start deconstructing or losing, you know, or changing their beliefs or changing their relationship with the church or whatever, uh, everything all of their theology gets thrown in the air. It's like the wheat and the chaff. When it's all thrown in the air, you don't know what's going to come down. You don't know what's going to land again. And if I think people need to be given that space mm -hmm. to allow that to happen. Often in church, uh, um, that process is discouraged. And if it does happen, you're reprimanded, corrected, instructed, you know, whatever, to get back on track as soon as possible, that this is Satan you know, uh, messing up your life and causing you to doubt and get back on the main and the plane. And people aren't given that chance to um, really, truly question and enter into that valley of darkness, you know, that could last a very long time to get beyond that, where they, they understand on a deeper and wiser level what they really do um, know to be true. Mm. So that's, those are things that, that the Lasting Supper, we give people that space to to process that stuff and to vent and to rant and to question and to, you know, um, abandon and reject a lot of things and then pick things back up and, you know, just to discover their own way. It's a very messy, chaotic process. But I think if people are given time and space, it's a very productive and fruitful one. And it sounds like, at least what I'm hearing this is, is I've kind of heard you talk a little bit about your story too, that mm -hmm. um, I, it at least in my head, the way I'm connecting this is that there, it feels like there's a natural connection between you as an artist and you as a, you as a curator of community as well. Um, yeah. you know, within that there, there's a certain like cultivation that goes on. There's a certain honesty and rawness that needs to go on because, um, yeah. you know, one of the things I can, you know, I, I come back over and over again to a lot of your, uh, the art that you put out there online right. as well too. And it, it speaks very, very, very distinctively to what's going on at the times. Mm -hmm. um, and I find myself going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Or I'll, or I'll, have, to, you know, or I'll have it on my phone and be like, I'll show it to my wife, and she'll just mm -hmm. laugh, and she'll be like, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, yeah. Because sometimes there, there is, I think there's something, I don't want to go as far to, to over-spiritualize this, but somehow like it, it feels like sometimes speaking truth can end up sounding prophetic um, <laughs> yeah. in, in many oh, ways. Because yeah. we live in a world where I feel like truth, people aren't always brave enough to really speak truth. Yeah. Um, especially to power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, prophets shouldn't call themselves prophets, but a lot of people do say, oh, this is really prophetic and whatever. And what they mean yeah. by that, there's two kinds of pro prophecy, foretelling and forth telling. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't claim to be a foretelling kind of a person. I can't predict the future, although we can intuit what the future may be looking at the signs now. But, um, uh, a lot of people feel I, I, I do speak truth to power. Now, uh, I'd be humbled if, if to know that that was true, but, uh, you know, I, I do, I do try to speak truth, of course. And mm -hmm. I, I do have a real huge issue with the abuse of power, which I see as happening around us all the time mm -hmm. from small to grand scales. So yeah, I, I try to do my part and, you know, my, my art, I, I haven't always been a cartoonist. I've only started, you know, in 2006 or something like that. But um, I, I just gave myself a challenge. Let's, you know, I can draw. Let's try cartooning. I'll try to draw one every day, see how long it goes. I thought I'd last 30 days, maybe. 
And here I am, you know, many years later still doing it. Mm. And I'm amazed at how one frame picture, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, sometimes it says a lot more and, and delivers more clout than, you know, a whole blog blog post. Mm-hmm. So it, I find it pretty effective. Yeah. No, there's there's a beauty to where uh, when you you're able to look at art, and I may interpret it a certain way and bring my own uh, story yep. and or baggage uh, into yep. how I'm interpreting that. And yeah. at the same time, like you know what you're meaning, you're mean, yeah. It in I think there's a beauty to art where it speaks to different folks at different places mm-hmm. at different times. And like you're mentioning, right. even like a simple, just uh, yeah, a one image yeah. type of cartoon yeah. can can speak a lot, especially when we're in a world right now that feels like it's insane um, yeah, in, yeah. in many ways. Um, yeah. And as I was, I was doing some research and I stumbled onto this too, and it, it, it reminded me of you, and it's a quote by James Baldwin, and it says, all art is a kind of confession, more or less oblique. All artists, if they are to survive, are forced at last to tell the whole story, to vomit the anguish up. Yeah. And, and that's some of the thing that, you know, I, I just remember one of your more recent uh, pieces that you put out there was the and correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but it was like who would Jesus gas? Uh, the WWE, yeah. yeah. And yeah, so that yeah. one was just, I mean, it 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 was, it was poignant, but it's also heartbreaking, and it yeah. helps for folks that are watching this happen in real time. You know, mm-hmm. down on the southern border, sometimes it at least gives us a a bit of a relief valve to being like, oh my gosh, somebody else sees mm-hmm. this, somebody mm-hmm. else realizes how far this is from anything mm-hmm. that Jesus would ever intend. Yeah, and. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, yeah, well done. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, James Baldwin, um, I've been reading some of his stuff and then, uh, you know, I, 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 his biography or not biography, but I am not your Negro that, that, that book. And then mm-hmm. there's a special documentary. I find, I find him very inspiring that mm-hmm. kind of truth telling, you know, um, and it's almost autobiographical in a way, like he says, you got to vomit up your own anguish. Mm-hmm. And and so while on the one hand he's critiquing or speaking truth to power, at the same time he's making himself very vulnerable Absolutely. and exposing himself. Mm-hmm. So I do that. I, I guess I'm doing that, you know, because I do expose myself. I get attacked every day. I just got I just got an, an email not long ago today of somebody saying, "Okay, I've appreciated your cartoons, but you know this whole thing about the border, you've just lost it. You've you've gone crazy." And I'm you know, unsubscribing now. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and, just and you were like, Oh no, let's course correct just for yeah. you. <laughs> no, you're really, <laughs> you're really kind of a stupid person that, you know, they, not in that, those many words, but that's, that's the language. But yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people think I'm having fun and I am, but at the same time, every time I click that post button, I know I'm, I'm taking a, I'm taking a risk mm-hmm. um, at, at what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but it's from me. This is me. This is my voice, right? I'm not trying to pander to uh, the general masses, and I'm I, I'm not trying to curry anyone's favor. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 uh, uh, you know vomiting up my own anguish, as James Baldwin says. Yep. So when you, when you begin to look at, at your art in many ways and. And within uh-huh. us, like our, our faith and our spirituality, it is part of us. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, w- I just wanted to kind of enter into a little bit of a dialogue, too, about like the idea of like spiritual creativity and art as activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so h- how does your faith 
fuel your art? Well, for me, it's the integrity of everything. It's the integrity of the universe. It's the union of all things, the unity of all things, um, which I believe. I believe at a fundamental level, we are all connected and indivisible. And um, we make this like a bunch of molecules seem to be one thing. In fact, but they're all separate little molecules or whatever, or cells. I, I feel the same way about the universe is that even though we might appear different at a deep and fundamental level, we're all tied together. And mm -hmm. Ener this energy keeps us together. And um, so my art is, a, is an expression of that. So when I see, um, see evangelical Christianity behaving the way it's doing right now, uh, in, in the U S specifically, uh, it, it shows me that it's something is trying to break off is it's, it's trying to, um, divide. It's trying to separate mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, racism and sexism and, and ageism and all this kind of thing is, is an attempt to, um, separate and divide, which mm -hmm. I, I try to speak out against because, um, you know, it's, it's in, is it Philippians, no, or Ephesians 2, or is it Philippians? Man, one of those of the dividing wall where, yeah. where Christ breaks down the walls of division. Um, and w many people don't seem to have any problem uh, rebuilding those walls, like, and, and uh, saying, no, we're not one. We're actually different and separate. And I have every right to hate you because of that. And uh, that just doesn't, you know, make sense in a unified world, in my mind. Mm -hmm. So my art's an expression of that. Mm -hmm. My art tries to express the unity, but at the same time challenge the attempts to divide. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. what, I've, what I found interesting, too, lately, and, and I've, I've, I feel like I've been noticing this probably over, like, the past, like, just six months, mm -hmm. and with the, uh, really with the religious right, and I feel like, I keep thinking, like, we're, we've hit the peak of hypocrisy, uh, and they just find a new peak. Um, yeah, but, yeah. uh, but, but going through this, it's, it's been fascinating to see, especially when we are pressing people at the borders, when we mm -hmm. are separating children from their families to be mm -hmm. able to see folks that wouldn't, that would say they're atheist or agnostic actually mm -hmm. invoking Jesus at conservatives. Like, Oh, Jesus wouldn't do this. Like this is yeah. not Jesus. And it's so it's, it's for me, it's been almost amusing to see folks defending Jesus that are outside the church. Um, and, and in, in a certain sense, it ends up being a bit of an, a middle finger, I know, um, to those that are kind of in the, uh, yeah, in religious power. But at the same time, I've just found it fascinating uh, mm -hmm. watching folks on Twitter and kind of throwing stuff back at people um, when, they're, yeah. when they're intent and when their actions uh, mirror nothing like Christ, but they will yeah. use Christ to get elected um, or their yeah, faith no. to get elected. Yeah. I got a I got an email from a Jewish rabbi in California who gets my cartoons every day, and he, it was I think it was the Who Would Jesus Gas one, and uh, he said, never mind, uh, let's put Christ back in Christmas, let's put Christ back in Christian. Yes. And uh, I thought, oh man, that would make such a great cartoon, but it's already taken. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, Jewish rabbi and, and from atheists as well, or, um, or, you know, agnostics or, or Muslims or whatever. It's like, 
uh, it's like Gandhi said, you know, I, 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 uh, I like your Christ, but I don't like your, the Christians, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, yeah, it's totally, I think, uh, it's, it's very obvious that something's awry. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I've, I've just, I've just kind of just been watching that happening, like in, in different circles. And I'm just kind of like, this is, this is fascinating. I don't really know what, what's going to come of this, but it's just fascinating nonetheless to see how far uh, one group yeah. has gone. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance, dissonance is an amazing thing. It is. Amazing. Yeah. It is. It is. And like, I keep going back to the fact of like, um, uh, to watching like the handmaid's tale. I'm like, when, when I'm watching how stuff goes out in front of me, I'm like, wait, so there's probably people that would watch this and this would be some sort of a sick fantasy of theirs. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is kind of like conservative porn. I thought that as I watch this, like, Oh really? This is fascinating. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I, I I totally, I pictured some people watching that and thinking, uh, What's the problem? I don't understand what the problem is. I know. What's going on? <laughs> this is right, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Anyway. No, but with but within this too, yeah. like, and it, with you as an artist and an advocate and a pastor in all of this, um, how, how especially in this weird age of Trump and whatever the hell we want to call this that we, that we find yeah. ourselves in in 2018, um, for for people like how how can artists cultivate faith like over fear? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like we we live in a time where there's there's a lot of fear happening right now, and and uh, we see people voting out of fear, uh, mm-hmm. we see people people reacting out of fear, and a lot of it's mm-hmm. irrational fear or fear of the other. Um, and and for you as an artist, uh, for a person that is that continues to wrestle and juggle through your faith, mm-hmm. um, you know how 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 important is that to cultivate faith over reacting out of fear? Mm-hmm. I, that's a good question because, um, I'll tell you, my mental health has not been the same since November 9th, 2016. Um, that was the morning, right? When we found out, uh, like I, I had been watching CNN a lot up to that point. And then when that happened, I stopped watching the news on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt I was, uh, duped and, um, yeah, my, I went, my mental health and here I'm Canadian. I'm not even American. I'm married. I'm married to an American, but, uh, and it, it, it radically altered my, you know, my attitude and everything. And I, I, I lost hope there for a bit and even became fearful and every once in a while that'll creep in. But, um, when I get away from it all and I do my meditation and I do my breathing and I do my, contemplative reading and when I write in my journal and I pay attention to my dreams and I body scan and I do all those things. Right. And, uh, I, I, I get centered again. I, I realize, uh, there is, we, we are, don't be fooled by appearances. We are still one. Um, and it's like Martin Luther King Jr. Said the, the arc of justice is long, um, or something like to that effect. And, you know, I just have to believe or I have to trust uh, that things are going to work out and that justice is going to prevail and love is going to win. And, you know, um, and I think art, <clears throat> there's some art out there that is nihilistic for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, most art is hopeful. It's expressing uh, something 
uh, it's we're, we're getting out our emotions in, um, because I guess deep down we hope that things will change for the better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I continue to voice my voice, you know, publish my voice uh, because I believe hopefully maybe one day somebody will hear or listen or see and um, changes will happen. Um, and uh, we'll, And what the seeing is, is that I, you and I are one doesn't matter the color of your skin or your sex or gender or, you know, um, or your age or whatever, uh, that we are essentially one and that, um, my hopefully artists are continually pointing that out and uncovering things that attempt to hide that. Mm -hmm. I think journalists, for example, um, and that's how I keep up on the news now is I follow certain journalists on Twitter uh, I think they're artists because, hmm. well, first of all, they're writers, but they have the art of uncovering the truth and exposing lies and, and stuff and the good ones. Yeah. So they're artists and, and, and they're, I think they are right now, uh, the archetypal artists right now. They're so important because they are, um, like an art, like a painter vomiting up, I keep bringing up, because I like that phrase, vomiting up their anguish uh, in attempts to point out what's going on so that people can make change, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I think that's what all art should do or does, yeah. Well, as as someone who has been inside the church and now exists kind of on the periphery or outside uh, the organized systems of faith there too, um, yeah. you, you, ha- you have a un- unique perspective to be able to mm-hmm. critique and look at like the American, American Christianity right now. Yeah. So in your mind, I'll put you on the spot with this. Like sure. what would your be? And, and it doesn't have to be three, but what would be your like top three main issues that you have with the American church right now? Uh, um, I think it, I, number one is I think the church often, and this isn't just American evangelicalism right now. Uh, but I think often the church confuses power with influence. Hmm. The church ought to be a, a, a community that influences its, its culture, the culture that it's in, in a positive way, of course, hopefully. Uh, like, but I think a lot of evangelicals confuse power with that. They think we need more power to make more influence when we know the biggest influencers are the ones that actually don't have power mm-hmm. <coughs> for good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that's one of the big, big deals is this, this hunger for power and thinking that with the more power we have, the more we can make America Christian mm-hmm. and with all its laws and, or everything. And, um, I think that's a huge misconception mm-hmm. and, you know, and, the theologically speaking, the Christ relinquished power continually mm-hmm. relinquished power in the gospel stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through the writings of Paul, we see that Christ continually relinquished power, understanding that, um, when a seed dies, it comes forth, uh, in a different way and in a more powerful way. And, and, uh, the, the whole, the gospel message seems to be the relinquishing of power in order to affect universal change. Yeah. And, um, so that, I think that's the big one. 
second, um, I think if churches want to survive, they need to give up vision and goal and just become communities. Just learn how to be an authentic community. Just learn how to be and give up vision, casting, and goal setting. Let that all go. And uh, I've, in fact, I've written a book about that called uh, Without a Vision, My People Prosper. And um, it's just because I really do believe that a church, its vision and so on, uh, gets in the way of the church as it actually is. Mm. And you're constantly trying to pressure people into becoming, becoming something they're not. So I think that would be the big thing. If the church wants to survive, uh, it needs to become community. Mm. And uh, third, um, I think it, I think it really needs to reshape its theology. Its theology isn't making sense anymore. Mm. Um, we need, we don't need like progressive or emergent Christianity where it just sort of tweaks the edges and you know just sort of modifies this or that, or cloaks it in modern, cool dress. I think it needs a deep, fundamental uh, revision. Hmm. Uh, so I, I really think, who are the great theologians right now? Seriously, like, uh, remember all through the ages, yeah. we've, had, we've had giants of theologians. Who are they now, right now? I don't know. Uh, there might be a few, but I don't, I don't know who the giants of theology are right now. And I think we need, I, I think we need that. Um, no, no you're ahead. right. You're right about that. I mean, I feel like we know who the giants of book sales are. Um, yeah. Right now, you know that, which is yeah. how we would gauge that. But that's you're right. That you're absolutely right. That yeah. it's it, it's very different. And I find myself when I look for when I try to look for voices to kind of speak to me, I tend to go past tense. I go, you know, I go to folks, you know, that that came before. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. That is that's that's, that's a really interesting question yeah who who are those right now and i yeah, uh, yeah i'm right now i'm i'm listening to um philosophers and quantum physicists mm-hmm. right now they're my giant theologians mm. you know and um like uh the uh physicist um carlo ravelli uh his book seven brief essays on or seven Seven Brief Lessons on Physics. It's a masterpiece for me. It's very theological. Um, I got to plug in my laptop or I'm going to die. <laughs> don't die on us. Isn't Not that, on the isn't, show. <laughs> isn't that true, eh? If I don't plug in my laptop, I'm going to die. Um, and then um, like modern day philosophers like uh, Slavo Žižek. You know? Yes, yes. Uh, the, these, these are my giants of theology right yeah. now, even though they would claim to be atheist. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I think that's those are the three things: power and influence, um, community, mm-hmm. and theology. So, David, what is giving you hope right now in this crazy world that we live in? Um, I, 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 uh, I just have hope. I just trust that things are going to be okay. <laughs> Like once in a while, though, there have been times when I thought, what's what's going to stop evil and evil people from taking over the world? Like, seriously, mm-hmm. what 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 is stopping these people? Because now we're finding that it's not governments or politicians who rule the world. It's big people with money. It's 
these multi-billionaires, these oligarchs that are ruling the world and buying governments. And, and that's who's like, how are we going to stop that? Mm -hmm. Well, recently we've heard like yesterday and today that there's people being, you know, their records are being seized and people are being charged and hopefully justice is going to prevail. Like I just hope justice will prevail mm -hmm. and that love will win. I, I'm, I see love win here in pockets here and there. And that's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it'd be good to see, justice prevail here and there on, on a grander scale too. Then I just hope, I really do, I agree with you. I think we're in a really dark time. Mm. And um, I'm just hoping, you know, joy comes in the morning. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. That is good. It's good. And I like that. You know, I think that, uh, yes, we want love to win. And in the immediate future right now, we want justice to just do yeah. what justice is supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, because when those things don't happen, I think it turns us all into cynics. Yeah. And, uh, and that's not a healthy place for, for, people to be in. Well, no. David, if people want to find you, if they want to find you based on your art, if they want to find you based on the lasting supper, how yeah. do people find you and your work? naked pastor, naked pastor, just Google naked pastor. One word, not two words, or you're going to get the shock of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So listen so, up. <laughs> Nakedpastor.com. And on there are links to my Etsy shop where I sell my art. And then there's a link there to The Lasting Supper, or mm -hmm. you can just go straight to thelastingsupper.com. Mm -hmm. My books are on Amazon. Um, and um, yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me. Yeah. And my courses, I've got courses. And so I'm busy. I'm a busy guy. I'm always creating stuff and putting stuff up. And um, so, yeah, just Google Naked Pastor or David Hayward and you'll find me. The good well, and the bad. Well, <laughs> well, David, uh, I... I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing the journey here with uh, folks that listen to the show. And nice. so if you are, if you are, folks are looking for David Hayward, so it's David Hayward, H-A-Y-W-A-R-D. Am I yeah. spelling this correctly? Good. Yeah. Um, and I'm really that. good at responding. I'm really good at responding. So if you reach out to me, I'm, you know, I'm very good at emailing back or messaging you back. So, Well, David, I'm, uh, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Um, thank you for being able to share here on the show today. Uh, I just, I love your work. And I will yeah. just say, just continue on what you're doing. Uh, I enjoy it. I, it speaks well, to me. It speaks to my wife. And uh, it gives us hope as well, too, that we're not, we're not the only ones feeling crazy. When you no. look at the world, you're <laughs> like, oh, someone else sees this craziness. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. Which, because sometimes when that happens, it at least tells you, yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Partners in suffering. Yeah, partners yeah. in suffering. And you're not crazy. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. someone else sees that. And for me, that, you know, that can be very nourishing as well to realize, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah, um, indeed. So, yes. Yeah, so thank you so much, man. And, and I look forward to, to what's next and love to have you on again sometime. Awesome. Take care, man. Well, that's all we've got this week as we end this broadcast. Just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. If you've got questions, comments, the good, the bad, whatever it is, you can reach me at questions at snarkyfaith.com. You can also find Snarky Faith on Facebook, Twitter, and pretty much anywhere you publish podcasts. So much thanks to David Hayward for hanging out with me for this hour on the show. If you want to check out his stuff, look up nakedpastor.com. So as I leave you here, 
um, as we've kind of sat here and listened through David's journey and just really reflected on just the whole element of process in our journeys, that we're all kind of at a place where we are, <laughs> we are learning, we are growing, that we are not fully formed where we're at, and hopefully we are moving towards a better place in this world of chaos. Um, I leave you with this. This is called a blessing for the journey. It's an old Buddhist prayer, and it goes like this. Let us vow to bear witness to the wholeness of life, realizing the completeness of each and everything. Embracing our differences, I shall know myself as you and you as myself. May we serve each other for all our days, here, there, and everywhere. Let us vow to open ourselves to the abundance of life, freely giving and receiving. I shall care for you, for the trees and the stars as treasures of my very own. May we be grateful for all our days, here, there, everywhere. Let us vow to forgive all hurt caused by ourselves and others and to never condone hurtful ways. Being responsible for my actions, I shall free myself and you. Will you be free with me too? May we be kind for all our days, here, there, and everywhere. Let us vow to remember that all that appears will disappear. In the midst of uncertainty, we shall sow love. Here, now, I call to you. Let us together live the great peace that we are. May we give no fear for all our days, here, there, and everywhere. So as you go out unto this week, I send you with the holiness amount of grace and peace and snark. Have a great week, everyone. I will catch you again next week. I am out of here. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters, and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.